everybody. Good morning. We're going to go ahead and get started today. Good to see you. If you can, can you go ahead and stand to your feet as we begin? We're going to start out. Our call to worship is out of Psalm 149 this morning. Verses 1 through 4. And let's say this out loud as it's on the screen. Let's prepare our hearts just to worship the Lord today. It says this. It says, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let's worship the Lord this morning and lift our voice to him. All creatures of our God and King, let's lift our voices. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. Thou burning sun with golden beam. Thou silver moon with salter gleam, oh praise Him, oh praise Him, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Let all things their Creator bless. Things that create a bless and worship him in humbleness. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, Washed by his blood, come and rejoice in his great love. Oh, praise him, alleluia. Yes, Christ has defeated every sin. Cast now your burdens now on
shall He shall return in power to reign Heaven and earth will join to say Oh, praise Him Alleluia The new shall fall on bended of our God and King. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. Alleluia. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. morning, Lord. You're worthy to be praised, worthy of every song. Lord, worthy of every prayer, of every song, of every thought of adoration. We pray this morning, Lord, that here in this place that you would meet us where we are. Shower forth your presence. Shower forth your blessing upon us this morning, Jesus. Lord, we're here with expectancy. Lord, knowing that you are a God that draws near to your people as we worship you, as we seek you, as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. Sing us together. Come thou fountains. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of the loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Oh, I was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me. I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free. Now my soul, now my soul can sing a new song. Now my heart has found a home. Now your grace is always with me and I'm never be Precious Prince of Peace, hear your cry. 
thou fount of our blessing. Come thou fount, come thou king, come thou precious friends of peace, and be your bride to you we sing. Come thou fount of our verse once more I was lost I was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free my soul now my soul can sing a new song now my heart has found a home. Now your grace is always with me, and I'll never be alone. Thank you, Lord. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. Church, we are in question three this week. For those of you that might be your first time here, we're going through something called the New City Catechism for the next year. And it's just simply a series of questions and answers, just essentials about our faith. And so I'm going to read this question, and then the answer is going to be on the screen. So I invite you, is, let's say this answer out loud together. This week, the question is this, how many persons are there in God? Let's say this answer together. There are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
they are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. This is one of the essentials of our faith. The Godhead, the triune God, three in one. Kevin, Young, Kevin DeYoung's a pastor. He says this about just this great truth. It says, when you have a triune God, you have the eternality of love. That love has existed from all time because of the triune God. If you have a God who is not three persons, he has to create a being to love, to be an expression of his love. But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in eternity have always had this relationship of love together. So love is not a created thing. That God didn't have to go outside of himself to love. But love is eternal. And when you have a triune God, you have fully this God who is love. Just let that sit for a minute about who God is. There, there are so many places we can go, but let's just do this. Let's offer a simple prayer of thanks for this triune God that we worship and serve. So would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you that you have existed from the beginning. Thank you that you have shown this perfect example of love that has existed outside of time. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to die on the cross for us. Thank you that after the Son had ascended to heaven, that you sent your Spirit to dwell within us. There has never been a moment in history where you have left us alone. You've always been with us. And yet we confess, Lord, that as we think about the mystery of the Trinity, there is so much that we just don't know and we don't understand but that we looked with hope one day that we will know and see you fully. We look to that day, Lord. And until that day, we just continue to sing, holy are you, Lord. Holy are you, Lord. There is no one like you. Can we sing this together? Holy, holy.
holy, holy. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love, that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. 
Oh, we put our hope and our trust in you today, Jesus. You're my present help. My present help, my future hope. One thing I know, you'll always be with me. Your grace alone anchors my soul. One thing I know, you'll always be with me. My present help, my future this as an anchor for our souls. Thank you for your steadfast love 
your forever faithfulness to us, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, fill us up with faith today. Lord, let us see ever more clearly the greatness of our hope, the foundation of our souls. I pray that you would just give strength to those of us who doubt this morning. I pray that you would just speak your words of promise over our lives, Lord, over areas that we struggle in. Lord, we struggle to believe. We struggle to believe the truth of who you are. Lord, solidify those things within us today. Pray that you would just open our eyes as we hear your word. We love you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Church, you can be seated. It is ages four through six this morning. Ages four through six can be dismissed for Bibleville. morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. The meaning of faith is muddy, at least in our culture. Everybody seems to have some conception of what faith is, and most people's definition of what faith is only lines up in part with what the Bible has to say about faith. We speak of interfaith prayer breakfasts, um, by which we simply mean people of differing backgrounds or religions, belief backgrounds, coming together united by the fact, the simple fact, that they have some sort of concept of a higher power and some set of beliefs that correspond to that higher power to which they adhere in varying degrees. Right? So we just, faith just means in our culture, you believe in something. Maybe you believe in yourself. Maybe you believe in the God of the Muslims. Maybe you believe in Buddha. But we can all have breakfast together and call it an interfaith breakfast because we have some set of beliefs We speak of every religion as a faith. We talk of the Christian faith. We understand, even maybe getting more specific to the Christian church, we understand that true Christians teach that a person is saved by faith alone. But what does the Bible have to tell us about what faith is? If faith is that vital for us, shouldn't we want to ask the question, what is faith? 
And shouldn't we want to seek the answer that the same Bible that tells us a person is justified not by works of the law, but by faith alone, if the Bible tells us that, shouldn't we want to then respond, well, okay, what is faith? Because I want to be justified. What is faith? God does not leave us to wonder about what faith is. He tells us outright in Hebrews chapter 11, and then he demonstrates what it has looked like in the past in his people. So, stand with me and let's read Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 together today. This is Faith 101. Faith 101. Intro to faith. Here we go. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, show us and help us. We need insight. We need to be able to be specific about what faith is and what it is not in order that we might have and display genuine faith so that we might be saved. As we've learned, those who have faith preserve their souls. Help us not shrink back, but have faith and preserve our souls. We ask that in the brief time that we have together, you would use your word to shape and reshape our thinking, to renew us in our minds, and in your kindness, lead us to repentance, and we ask that you'd build up our faith. Spirit of God, we can do nothing without your help, and so we're appealing to you. Because of the good work that Jesus has done to the glory of the Father. And we make this prayer through Christ. Amen. You can be seated. Um, I have outlines in the back. If you need one, grab one. They're just in a little holder back there. Uh, you're going to bother no one if you get up and grab one. If we need to make extras, I left one on the copier. I'm trusting that someone will go make extras if we uh, run out. The first thing, just... Three points. I know yet last week was a seven-point sermon. I try to stay away from lots of points as best I can because I think three is about the number that we can deal with in our minds. Okay, so, but three points this week, one from each verse. What faith is, what faith wants, and where faith begins. Okay? There, I know that on point two there's a blank that I haven't filled in for you yet. That's okay. I will get there. Just trust me. What faith is, what faith wants, where faith begins. Okay, this is faith 101. So let's go in verse one. What is faith? Right. Anytime the Bible or an, an, a biblical author says, now this is this, just outright explicitly defines it, this is an important thing. Okay. A lot of times what the Bible will do is it will, it will describe something to you 
by telling a story and showing you what it's like and leaving you to draw the inferences. But there are some times that we just get direct instruction, didactic instruction. Here's what this is. And this is a place. We're told two things about faith that we might not have known otherwise, or we might have stumbled onto at some point, but we're told outright, here's what faith is. This is not exhaustive. This is not all that faith is, but here are two really important things about faith. First, it is the assurance of things hoped for. So what does that mean? We talk about hope often as a wistful desire for something good to happen, but coupled with an uncertainty about its outcome. So we've had a month of droughts. How many times have you been walking around, met somebody at Walmart and said, man, I hope it rains today, right? That is, you don't know if it's gonna rain. Like how many times have we seen the weather app or the weather channel be wrong about this? They've called for rain, we don't get it. Or somewhere somebody got it, but I didn't get it in my yard, so my grass is still dead. I hope it rains. I don't know if it's going to. I just want it to. We could sure use it, right? That's not the way the Bible uses the word hope when it talks about your hope. Okay, when the Bible speaks about hope, it speaks of it as a confident expectation of good and desirable things in the future, things God has promised to his people. It's a confident expectation of these things. Okay, so those are the things that we hope for. We're gonna talk some more about what these, some of these things are that we hope for, some of these things that God has promised to his people. But for right now, faith is, whatever assurance is, of those things, those future good things that God has promised, we are confidently expecting those to happen. Okay, so faith, our author says, is an assurance about such things, a certainty that they will come to pass. Faith does not anchor that confidence in self, others, or anything else in all creation. Faith rests its confidence in God's word, which is ultimately resting in God's character. Okay, so this works the same for us. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, out of the overflow of God's heart, Right, if God actually had a heart, right, like it's anthropomorphism, we are making God sound like us to talk about him, his mouth speaks. Okay, so when when he says something, he does it. He is never untrue to his word. He's never unfaithful to that which he speaks. God is truth. As a matter of fact, we actually Kevin alluded to this in his prayer, and we saw this uh, a handful of weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. By two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Our hope is anchored in the character of God from which God speaks. It is impossible for him to lie. The book of Titus tells us that God never lies. Okay, So to believe God's word is to trust God. When God promises something, his fulfillment of that thing which he has promised is certain, not because we deserve it, but because he is never unfaithful to his word. We bank on his character. 
Believing his word is trusting his character, trusting his heart. Faith casts its glance in two directions. It looks backward at past events that happened. The once for all atoning and perfect sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection. Okay? Faith casts a backward glance on the cross and the empty tomb. Faith believes Christ. And then faith looks ahead to future things that God has promised. And when we see God's faithfulness in that realm, it convinces us that he will also never let any of his good promises that he has made about the future fail. No falling words. Not one of the good words God spoke fell to the ground. That is our God. And so faith looks backward and forward. And inasmuch as faith is forward looking, faith and hope are closely related concepts. They're nearly interchangeable. One of the commentaries that I read this week actually said, you could just as easily, so when it says, you know, hold fast the confidence of your hope without wavering, you could just as easily have said, hold fast your confidence of faith without wavering. They're both future-oriented, forward-looking, trusting and certain that because God has said he will do it, that he will do it. And so what it means is simply that we await the fulfillment of those things that he's promised. Faith begets hope, and hope is a confident certainty about the future. Okay, so you think about, let's, let's illustrate this for a minute. So faith as the assurance of those things that you hope for. Faith acts a little bit like a title deed, okay? The deed is not the house. The house is what you're really after. But the deed assures your right to the house against other claims. It is an assurance of that house. So you buy a house sight unseen, you do the closing and you're a thousand miles away, you're about to move. The, the, the legal document that says you have the right to inhabit that house, that you have the right, you actually have real possession of that thing that you want, right? A deed is not much good without a house, right? Like it's just a piece of paper. But if if I'm going to go to court because I get to the house and there are squatters in the house, <laughs> right? that deed is what proves that I have the right to the house. This is, faith acts as the same thing. It's this title deed to all of God's promises. So it, it is assuring us right, that God's promises are true. And at the same time, it's ensuring that we have possession of those things for which we hope, those good things that are coming. So it acts as a title deed. It assures us of the reality and the possession of those good things for which we hope. That's the first thing that faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And then he continues, it's the conviction of things not seen. Right, there's a saying, seeing is believing. It's a statement that our world operates by. If I can't see it, Smell it, taste it, touch it, hear it. It doesn't exist. Or it isn't worth my time. Maybe it exists, but it's not worth my time. Because to, to be worthy of my belief, 
I must see. This, this actually is, Jesus bumps into this, right? When, when, he's, when the Pharisees come to him and they're like, look, we'll believe you. Just show us a sign. Like, show us that you're the Messiah and we'll believe in you. They wanted to see. Jesus has a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. What he's also going to do is Jesus is going to tell Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 29, after he touches the place in his side, he reaches out and touches his hands and he sees the resurrection, like the, the undeniable visual proof of the resurrection. He says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus, in a loving rebuke, says, because you have seen me, do you now believe? Then what does he say? Is it behind me? Can it be behind me, John 20, 29? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. He's not only talking about us, but friends, he's talking about us. When we don't see and yet believe, we're blessed. Paul is going to talk to the Corinthians in his letter, his second letter. In chapter 5 and verse 7, and he's going to tell them this famous line. We walk by faith, not by sight. Seeing is not necessarily believing. There were tons and tons. I mean, at least 11,000 people that I can think of. Five, or 9,000 men, that I, like 5,000 and 4,000 that he fed with just loaves and fish, and not all of them believed in him. They saw, they watched a miracle, and it doesn't necessarily mean they believed. There were people watching him accomplish salvation on the cross, and what were they doing? They were reviling him and insulting him and hurling abuse at him. If God delights in you, come off the cross. They're seeing, but they're not believing. Seeing does not mean believing. Some of us think, well, if Jesus would just show up in person, man, it would just build up my faith so much. He did, and we killed him. Seeing is not necessarily believing. Biblical faith is convinced about unseen realities because God has told us about them. So what does this involve? What are the things that we can't see about which we're supposed to, or in which we're supposed to believe, about which we're supposed to be convicted or convinced? This involves spiritual realities that cannot, at the present moment, be apprehended by the senses. Okay. Right? So right now, there is a whole spiritual realm, and there's a spiritual war that's happening around us that we don't see, we don't hear. We don't smell. It is not at this moment able to be apprehended by our senses. And yet we trust because God has told us in his word, we trust that it's real. Okay. We also are called to believe in past events that are described that cannot be objectively verified by you and your senses. So you are called to believe and put your hope and your faith in an event that happened some 2,000 years ago. And you yourself can't go back in time. There is no time machine. You cannot watch it happen. You cannot touch, like Thomas did, the hands and his side and talk to him as a physical 
person. You can't do that. You cannot objectively verify for yourself that those things are true, yet you take them as true. You don't see them, but you believe. Okay? And then there are future events that have not yet unfolded in the course of history, these unseen. So some of them are unseen because they're presently around us and we don't see them. There are some things that are in our past that we don't see. And there are some things that God has told us about in the future that we don't yet see. And all of these things, right? faith is convicted that though invisible, these realities are real. It's, a, it's, a, it's an attitude and a mindset of a settled certainty that because God's word says these things, they're real and they're true. That's a conviction, a settled certainty. The fact that God hasn't fulfilled them yet does not make his promises any less real, true, or certain. What it does mean is that we are simply in a period of waiting for all that he has said. What are some of the realities that we cannot see but nevertheless believe? Well, one of them is what we talked about in our catechism question today. God. Like the existence of God. His nature as a triune God. Father, Son, and Spirit. His uh, his, his creation of the world, we'll get there in just a moment. We, we're called to believe in Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. His existence from eternity past, his existence as a man being born of a virgin here and all the work that he accomplished, his atoning work, his future return one day to judge the world in righteousness, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, his existence, the indwelling that the Spirit accomplishes in believers the, his production of spiritual fruit in a person. Regeneration. Like we're called to believe in these works of the Holy Spirit that we can't see. We're called to believe the truth about ourselves. That we were made in God's image. Isn't that interesting? Made in his image, but we don't see an image. Like we're, we're supposed to be the image of the invisible God. And we believe that Christ is the greatest expression of the image of the invisible God. And we're supposed to be made into his image, right? But we, we trust, we take by faith that God made man in his image. Male and female created he them. We believe, like show of hands, how many of you have seen your soul? Have you ever laid eyes on your soul? No. Do you yet still believe that you have a soul? Of course you do. How do you know that you have a soul? Because God tells us in his word that we have a soul. We take it as a matter of faith that we are body and soul united in one being called a human being. We take it as a matter of faith that we have sin and that that sin separates us from God and that we are in desperate need of redemption because eternity is at stake in this life. Those are all matters. You don't see it. Right? Like you, you see yourself sinning, of course. But like the fact that it calls down judgment from a holy God upon you and that you're in this desperate need of redemption, that is a matter of faith. We believe in heaven and hell as present and future realities. These fixed, um, unalterable existence 
uh, of punishment or bliss. We believe in judgment and Christ's return. We believe in creation, the, the events described in the Bible, which are in our past. We believe in all of the events described in the Bible, uh, in, including things like Balaam talking to a donkey. We believe, as a matter of fact, that Jonah was a real person who was actually miraculously kept alive in the belly of a fish. We believe that's true as a matter of faith because God has placed it in his word. He's told us about it. We believe in events described in the Bible which are in our future. We believe in the spiritual realm, the created spiritual realm, angels and demons and the ongoing existence of all human beings in one of these two states. It's funny, like, I just find that almost, almost no matter how atheistic a person is, when someone stands up to speak at a funeral, what do they say? You know what is so interesting is, I, I don't even, like, the, the one example that I can think of right now is, uh, do you remember that during the Batman movie, Heath Ledger was the Joker, and he, he like, he like sold out to that part so much that he actually got depressed. And then, well, you know the end of all of that, right? Um, well, at the Oscars the next year, I just remember somebody talking about him and going, I know you're watching. I know you're watching us right now. You know, none of those people that I know of really believe the Bible and believe in God, but like death kind of brings our, our created in God's imageness out of us. He's placed eternity in our hearts, in the heart of every human being, from the most atheistic all the way to the most faithful Christian. We all have this knowledge that is inescapable, that, w- that this world is not all there is, that we were made for something more. Okay, And so we believe, as a matter of faith, that people who have died, they still exist. They're, they're not gone. Like their body is, and again, it's just that's what makes a funeral so odd. So backwards and so like horrifying because that person is lying there and it looks like he or she could just get up at any moment and yet we know that they're not. The chest is not rising and falling with breath. The truthfulness of God's word, all of the promises he's made and his warnings to his enemies, the process of sanctification, right? The goodness of continuing to persist in doing righteousness even when it looks like evil men are prospering. That's a matter of faith. You don't see the end result yet, but you take it as a matter of faith, right? I believe that God exists. I believe that his morals are real, that this is how he's created the world to work best, that this is how he's created my heart to work best, and I will obey in love for him, even if the wicked are prospering. And... We believe as a matter of faith in the dangers of sin even when it looks like there are no actual consequences for it, right? We believe it's dangerous to persist in sin even when it doesn't look like it is. We, I've watched people sin and seemingly get away with it. And yet, in the end, does anybody really get away with it? No, God will have ultimate, final justice in this world. Like, 
there are just, we could just go on and on. I've given you, I think, some like 15, 16 examples of things that are unseen realities, but are no less real for being unseen. And faith is a conviction and assurance of those unseen realities. The, what's, what I love, what's so interesting to me, is that a lot of times, like unbelievers will almost mock the church for believing in things we can't say, as if we didn't know that we believe in things that aren't seen. As if the Bible were somehow bashful about the fact that we believe in things that we can't say. Of course, like that's what, that's what faith is, right? It's, it's, it's assurance of things that you hope for that you don't have yet. It's a conviction about things that you can't see. Right? That's what it is. You're, you're mocking me for having faith when faith is the definition of, or when, when not seeing things is the definition of, of faith. I think it's funny. The Bible is not bashful about that. In fact, the Bible actually commends us for doing what I love the Jesus Storybook Bible says, believing more than what our eyes can see. So trusting Trusting these spiritual realities, even when your eyes say the opposite. Trusting more than what your eyes could see. Abraham, 100 years old. Sarah, 90 years old. God's promised them 25 years ago they were going to have a baby. They believed. And 90-year-old Sarah well past the age of childbearing. What happened? Isaac, the son of the promise. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. Let me just point you to some places uh, that would commend to you this idea. Like just, just showing you the Bible is not bashful about the fact that we believe in unseen realities. And we ought not be ashamed that we believe in unseen realities because, again, that's what faith is. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18. If you have one of my outlines, it's on the back there. It says this, For this light momentary affliction, here, here is, here's one. Here is an unseen thing. I, what I see is affliction. And, and Paul is calling the church to believe that in light of eternity, it is light and it is momentary. This light momentary affliction and not only are we called to believe it's light and momentary, we're also called to believe this is producing, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. That's a promise that when you're afflicted, Christian, when you endure trials of various kinds, it is producing in you, it's preparing for you an eternal weight of glory Beyond all comparison, you cling to that by faith in moments of suffering. As we look, look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And here's like here is the drive at home point 
For the things that are seen are transient. That is so backwards to us in 21st century modern Western civilization that the things that I can see are actually the things that aren't going to be here forever. And the things that I can't see are the things that are forever. That's so backwards to people who live for the moment, who live in the moment. We don't look to the things that are seen because those are transient. They're passing away. Again, this is what faith means. I take God at his word. This building is going to burn and I'm not, not because I'm going to set it on fire. It's going to pass away. The things that are unseen are the things that last. Okay, 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. About Jesus, about Jesus Christ. 1, 8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. That's faith. Loving him whom you have not seen. Though you do not now see. The Bible is not ashamed to tell us, to acknowledge the fact you don't see Jesus right now. He told his disciples, where I'm going, you can't come. He knew that. This is not a surprise to us. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And do what? Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. Again, like part of faith is actually trusting that our faith is going to lead to salvation. Like that, that God, when he has told us that we'll be justified by faith, like you're not just having faith in your faith. You're having faith in God's word that tells you that your faith achieves salvation for your soul, right? But when he's told us that, we can believe it. This is a promise. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Your faith has a great reward. Your faith is leading there. Okay? Romans 8. This is the last one that I'll point you to here. Romans 8, 24 and 25. Here's, we're going to tie together the idea of hope and things that aren't seen as well. Romans 8, 24. I'm going to read 25 as well. For in this hope, we were saved. What hope? Well, if you look back at 23, it's our adoption as sons. In that hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes? For what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope that is seen is not hope. Friends, this is no irrational blind leap of faith. It is based on facts, objective, external witness. Right? You just read 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is talking about the, the gospel. He's commending the gospel to them. He talks about the, the fact that Jesus appeared he was, he was killed according to the scriptures on the third, he was buried on the third day. He was raised again according to the scriptures and he appeared to the apostles. And then at one point to 300 at one time, right? I think, or 500 maybe at one time. I don't remember. You can look back at 1 Corinthians 15, that number. But it's, we're, we're basing our faith not on my own subjective feelings, but on objective external witness about something. Um, there is a level of, I have experienced this, therefore, uh, I believe 
but we base it on facts and something outside of us, evidence offered both inside and outside the Bible and the testimony of the Holy Spirit within us. Um, it's something about which we are continually counting the cost. But faith is rational, reasoned, and reasonable. Now, these things don't constitute an exhaustive definition of faith, but they are helpful in seeing what biblical faith represents. So now, what does faith want? Okay, let's look at verse 2. And that second blank there, that last blank there on point 2, if you're following along, is what faith wants and gets. Okay, what is faith after? For by it, faith the people of old received their commendation. Faith seeks after, faith desires above all else the commendation of God. Faith pursues God's approval more than anything else, more than any human approval, more than social media likes, more than vindication of the American justice system, more than the validation of a fat wallet or a fancy car or a big house or an important job title, more than cultural popularity. Faith is after this one thing. It wants God's approval and faith gets it. That's what faith wants. That's what faith gets. Genuine biblical faith, right? As the Bible talks about faith, this is what it's after. It doesn't care about anything except the approval of God, and that's what it gets. So what is God's commendation? The answer here is it's the fixed eternal approval of God wherein he testifies. Right? He's, he's witnessing. They receive their commendation. That word in the original language is the same word for testify or report about, bear witness to. So God bears witness to this person for their what? Faith. For their righteousness that comes by faith. God testifies to the genuine faith and us the righteousness of a person when they have faith. Uh, commentator, uh, pastor, well, he's not really a pastor, he's a theologian, Al Mohler, points out that there are only two options. You will receive commendation from God or you'll receive condemnation for God. And the dividing line between those is faith. Because it's by faith that the people of old receive their commendation and it's by faith that we receive our commendation. Those who have faith, as the Bible talks about faith, will receive the approving commendation of the Lord and those who lack Authentic faith will receive his condemnation. So what does God's commendation look like? Well, let me first point you to 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, yeah, 4. I'm going to read 1 through 5. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful, full of faith. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness 
and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So commendation comes on the last day. Approval comes on the last day, and it's about what's in the heart. Is there faith or is there unbelief? Uh, Matthew 25, 21. This is, uh, I, I just cannot think of any one phrase that better captures what it's going to look like when someone receives commendation from God, from Christ. Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Show of hands. Who in this room doesn't want to hear those words spoken to you? Anybody? No? I want those words spoken to me. Friends, that's what I'm after. In my soberest, sanest moments, that's what I'm after. That's what I want to hear more than any other words in the world. When I stand before Jesus and he looks me in the eye and he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That is unalterable. When he renders and pronounces that judgment, it cannot be altered. And it lasts forever. And I enter into his joy. I want that. Faith wants that. And faith is what gets that commendation. We remain faithful, full of faith, doing the things that faith would require of us throughout our whole lives. And when we persist in faith and die in faith, we receive commendation from the Lord. By it, the people of old received their commendation. He says it was that way for the elders. That word literally is elders, but it, it's talking about the saints of bygone ages, Old Testament ages. The reason that God witnessed well about them was that God that they heard his word and believed him. Right? The entire chapter is going to be set up by this theme that they were commended by God because they were trusting what they couldn't see. They were believing, uh, they, were, they were trusting and sure of things that they hoped for. Okay? The entire chapter is about the perseverance of faith through difficulty and waiting. Faith desires and gets God's commendation. Unbelief, unbelief is what receives God's condemnation. If you persist in unbelief throughout your whole life and you resist God and you push him away and you rebel against him and you break out against all sound wisdom and judgment, you will be judged. Let's talk quickly about where faith begins. Verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So where does faith begin? It begins at the beginning. Faith starts where the Bible starts, right? This is faith 101. If you're going to believe God in anything, 
You have to believe God in everything. And the most basic, earliest, most foundational piece of the Christian worldview is this. In the beginning, God. We can keep going, but like the Bible begins with a presupposition that before there was anything, there was God. Okay? If it was going to be in the beginning God, then God had to be before the beginning. God is the one who made a beginning. There, there is, like, there's no salvation without creation. There's no new creation without original creation. Like, there are no promises made to his creatures if there are no creatures to make promises to, right? Faith accepts and treasures the Bible's most primary assumption that before anything else was, God was. And it accepts and treasures the rest of that verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? So God is not just, it wasn't just that he was before the beginning. It's that he spoke. He created everything. His voice was infinitely powerful and inestimably creative such that his voice brought forth light from darkness, matter from void, visible from invisible. Right, Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9. Let me just jump there quickly. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts, the stars. God spoke, and his voice was so powerful that those lights that you see at night and that sun that warms you by day, it was like they were breathed out by God. There was nothing. It was void. And God speaks into non-existence, into nothingness. And his voice is so powerful that that nothingness, that non-existence, hears his voice and obeys and begets somethingness. It comes, non-existence springs into existence because God said so. That's a powerful word, is it not, friends? Verse nine, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. John 1, 3. It says this. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, if it was made, it has a tag on it. And that tag says, created by God. Anything, you name it. Anything that you can see. Anything that you can touch. Anything that's been made. Created by God. Nothing that has been created was created except through him. And it's not just his voice that created those worlds, right? We look back on that and we say, what a powerful word is God's word. And then we say, 
What a powerful word is God's word. The same voice that created the heavens has spoken to us and calls us. He calls life from dead hearts. He declares sinners to be righteous by faith. He replaces rebellion with repentance in their hearts and his voice raises up and rewards faith. It is the same powerful word and voice that makes promises to us. With a voice that powerful, how shall he fail to fulfill all that he's spoken? 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Right, creation and new creation by the same voice. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If we are to believe his gospel, we must also begin by believing his word about creation. Faith causes us to understand and accept these things. Authentic faith begins at the beginning. Now, it doesn't end there, but it starts there. It presses on to all that he has said about who he is, who we are, what Christ has done, and what he will do. But faith begins at the beginning. Okay? What faith is, what it wants and gets, where it begins. Yesterday, I was sitting in a chapel, uh, and I noticed in the rafters these beautifully grained um, wood beams. And as I thought about it a little bit, I, it occurred to me that these beautiful beams are almost certainly veneers covered, because they're so massive. I'm like, there's, there's no way they took a cedar tree that big and made one beam and put it there and another beam and put it here and more and put them here. Like, no way. There is, there's wood underneath that that's structural and the veneer is just something that covers the wood and makes it look prettier, right? Like that's what a veneer does. A thin piece of beautiful wood that covers the uglier, stouter beam. It's actually part of the structure. But you know, as I was thinking more about it, uh, the veneer is beautiful, but it's basically meaningless, is it not? Like, how many of you would want to go and sit underneath that roof if it's only held up by the veneer boards? No, nobody. I don't want to sit in there. That roof's going to cave in at some point. It's just a matter of time. Okay? There has to be substance behind that. Friends, I, I'm just, as I think about faith, about this type of genuine biblical faith, Hear me exhorting you and pleading you not to have this veneer of faith. You can come week in and week out. You can post on social media all you want to. But if there is nothing of substance underneath that veneer, it's meaningless. It's really easy to look to other people like a believer, but in the end, that will be bitter for you because you'll be one of the people who will be surprised on the last day. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do all these miracles in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Don't let that be you. Don't walk around with this facade of beauty when there's nothing but death and rotting lumber underneath. Don't just look the part. You can get the approval of the people around you by looking the part. 
But what you miss out on and what you give up is the forever approval of your Father in heaven. Don't make that trade. It would be better to be hated by everybody but approved by God than approved by everybody and cast away by God. So what I'm asking you to do, and I want to give a few moments for this here. What I'm asking you to do, what I'm pleading with you to do, is to sit and examine yourself. Unbeliever, believer alike. I'm asking you to sit and examine yourself. Do I believe these things? Like, do I genuinely believe that these things are true? And to find out if they're genuine, if it's genuine, does it make a difference? Does it make a difference in the things that I think about and the things that I seek and the words that I say and the activities in which I engage? Does my faith make a difference? Does it look anything like the New Testament in my life, in my words, in my thoughts, in my attitudes? If, if faith doesn't make an actual difference Is it really there? This is James. This is the book of James. So sit and examine yourselves for a moment. I'm I'm really actually going to stop talking in just a minute, and I'm going to give you a second. I want you to think about this. I want you to ask the Lord this. And I want you to say, God, I don't want to be a veneer that's just going to crumble even if you have to rip the veneer off so that lumber can be put in there. Like that would be better if I looked ugly to everybody, but I had real substance. What do you want? What is your desire? What do you think about most? What are you afraid of most? How do you speak to other people? What do you do when nobody else is around? Is genuine faith there? Take a moment. Think about it.
Jesus, when you were on the earth and teaching in your ministry, you, you said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I pray that at least as far as it relates to the people that are in this room, the answer to that question would be yes. Lord, I pray that we would not be false. Because even the demons believe the right things about God, but they don't have obedience and they shudder at the truth about God. Lord, help us not to have that natural, demonic, unspiritual type of simple mental acknowledgement of these truths, but let us have substance there. Let us see real obedience taking root in our hearts. And God, if, if anybody in this room is deceived about his or her faith, in your grace and mercy, would you show them would you show them what is beneath that veneer and by your grace bring it down tear it off so that real substance can be there I pray that no one in this room would fall short of your grace God give us clarity clarity of heart and thought give us honesty about where we are and in your great love and grace give us change Lord if there are people in here who are genuinely believers but have been displaying some pattern of unbelief for a season God, I'm asking that you would gently and mercifully work in them, convict, and let your kindness lead them to repentance. And Jesus, if there are any here who are not part of your sheep, we are asking that they would trust in your righteous, perfect sacrifice offered to deliver them from their sins. And that they would trust in your resurrection. And that they would know the joy of eternal life with you, even now. God, would you work in any way that you see fit among your people? We want to surrender ourselves and submit ourselves to the work that you want to accomplish. So please do it and do it fully.
thank you, Jesus, for your great sacrifice and your resurrection. We make this prayer in your name. Amen. So let's continue in a time of reflection and examination because we're going to turn our attention to the Lord's table. Uh, A table that proclaims past events that we trust in and that without trusting in, we shouldn't approach the table. So if you don't believe in this once for all sacrifice of Jesus, if you're not one of his, if you haven't repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, let me warn you not to come to the table. This table is not for those who are outside of the faith, but for those who are trusting in Jesus alone and forsaking sin. So if that doesn't describe you, don't come. Come and take Jesus instead. Come pray with me. Sit in your seat and pray. Um, But if you are a, a believer in Jesus, you're willing to lay down your sins to follow him, even afresh, even today, then examine yourself and come to the table. This We believe in events that we haven't seen. And then we believe in events that are yet future to us. And the table meets us in the middle of all of that. That faith in past events. That Jesus' body was broken instead of ours. And his blood was shed instead of ours. So that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. And that one day Jesus will return and he will judge the living and the dead. And he will usher his people of faith into right relationship and fellowship with him into eternity future. And it will be joy and bliss unending and ever increasing. This table points backward and forward. And it meets you here. Christ meets you here. Because we're his people. And he promises to be where we gather. So examine yourself And then come and celebrate this once for all sacrifice that has opened up for you the way to God. As we gather at the table of the Lord, we remember that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, Father, meet us. Christ, our King, meet us here. Shepherd your people. Let us hear your voice, your voice that created worlds and created life in our hearts and calls us to faithfulness. Let us hear and respond in faith-filled obedience. Let us live lives of faith-filled obedience. Let us persist in belief and trust and obedience for all of our lives. And let us be seeking to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let this table and our participation in it today be a down payment of that day when Christ, you return and you speak these words to your people. So we make this prayer in your name, Jesus. Amen. Table's open.
hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me, my Jesus set me free. Look at the wounds that give me life, grace flowing from His side, no greater sacrifice. What He's done, what He's done, all oh, glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven, my future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. See for the freedom He has won. Even death is dead and done. His life is overcome. Speak, say the name above all names. Over every broken place, He's risen from the grave. What He's done, what He's done. the sun my sins are forgiven my future is heaven I praise God for what he's done now on the throne of majesty the father's will Hallelujah to the King, He's worthy to receive all the worship we can bring. Hallelujah. We'll sing Hallelujah to the King, He's worthy to receive all the worship we can bring. What He's done.
Once again, Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. He says, in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For our missions time this month, uh, you may have noticed we put a... a poster up in the back. This month is the month that we will take up the Georgia Barnett missions offering, the Louisiana Baptist Convention missions offering for our state and local missions. Um, and so what we're going to do this month is we're actually going to pray for one of the days on the prayer guide every Sunday um, for, our, for our missions time. So this week, we're actually going to pray for disaster relief, which is one of the things that Georgia Barnett... So if you've ever seen like the yellow hats or the yellow shirts, if you've ever seen the, like the big yellow trailer with the blue gold, with the blue fish on it that says disaster relief, like that's a... Those are Baptists. Those are our people. And you help support that even if you're not out there with a chainsaw in your hand. Uh, we send... Uh, we send people all over the country. And when disasters happen here, we... we band together locally. So one of the things that this, one of the ways that the Georgia Barnett Missions Offering supports the cause of Christ is this disaster relief. So let's, we've got a quick video for you and then we're going to pray for that. Maybe we could start that one over if we get a chance to turn it up. At church, they were like, hey, we're having a training at, you know, this Saturday. At that point, I was kind of like just ready.
Without volunteers, there is no disaster relief. We need volunteers that have a heart for Jesus and love people. Each year, volunteers give of themselves to assist those affected by natural disasters. Disaster relief begins with a yes. At church, they were like, hey, we're having a training at, you know, this Saturday. At that point, I was kind of like just ready to try out some new experiences. And I was like, all right, Lord, I'm going to put my yes on the table here. And then Ian hit and seeing all the videos online and the news hit and my heart just sank. I just knew I needed to go. I was preparing my sermon. God just spoke and said, you got to go help them people. And so I stood up um, on a Sunday morning and said, hey guys, I think we need to go help people in Florida. Who wants to go? Howard and his team have volunteered for 25 years, covering 26 states and six countries. One of our trips to um, Haiti, we responded after um, an earthquake. We encountered a young lady that was um, blind. She had um, was been under the debris and her eyes were just, were severely damaged, couldn't see. And so they started treating her. We worked, the, the team washed her eyes out and cleaned them and started giving her antibiotics orally and in her eyes. And the day we left, um, she opened her eyes for the first time and said, and could see. The need for volunteers is never ending. Your GBO gifts help prepare the next generation of volunteers. If there's anyone who ever just thinks that they could just have a day, I did not think I could even go. My teachers let me let off for the week and my, my bosses were so gracious and said, go, go serve. The backbone is the volunteers. And so, you know, I just decided I was gonna go for it and I was gonna do it because it's ultimately for a greater purpose. You should just try it out. God always provides a way when people are willing to go. Okay, so consider uh, what you would give to the Georgia Barnett offering. We're going to start praying daily next week for, for eight days, Sunday to Sunday. On that Sunday the 17th, we're going to collect the Georgia Barnett offering. So consider what you would give. Uh, let's right now pray about how our giving will impact because like hurricane season is on the way, right? We're going to see these yellow people, these yellow people, these yellow shirted people out and about uh, very soon. Uh, and just know that like your, your giving will support that. Um, and uh, yeah, that was, sorry, that was a bad thing to say. Uh, I, I understand it. I'm sorry about that. Um, so, uh, so that's, that's going to happen. And then we'll, we'll continue praying for these. And we're going to pray for this the whole month of September. But then also consider if you're interested in doing a disaster relief training. I mean, they're going to have some around the state, I think all around the year. You could go and be part of that. You know, we would love to help send you on, on a trip like that. So uh, just consider that. Uh, if you're interested in that, reach out to me and I will uh, get you more information. But for right now, let's pray for disaster relief. Father, thank you for how you've put it on the hearts of many, many of our brothers and sisters in Southern Baptist churches in Louisiana to have uh, teams that are ready to mobilize at the drop of a hat, uh, to give up time and energy uh, and go to hard places, hard hit places by different disasters and to help. 
Um, I pray that you would use our money that we give to support that mission. And that if you have people here that you want to go, that their yes would also be on the table. Uh, God, direct our hearts in how we should give uh, and be honored in the giving. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, very quickly, a handful of announcements. Let me run through these. Parenting class begins today at 4. 4 o'clock. Dean, where are we going to be? Right here. Okay, so in here, 4 o'clock. Please bring your $15 or PayPal the church before you come. Uh, Women's gathering, Wednesday night, the 6th at 6 o'clock. Going to be at Ronnie Williams' house. Um, The other thing that I wanted to say is uh, we have talked about this, and I know we kind of said that the men's and women's gathering would be this temporary thing like for the summer. I just wanted to say the elders have kind of made the decision to take that temporary tag off at least until the beginning of the year. So we're going to continue doing this at least for the end of the year. And, uh, and because like the women's gatherings have been so good uh, that, that they don't want to stop as far as I can tell. And the men's gatherings have been so good that, that we're reluctant to give those things up. So we're going to keep doing that until the end of the year. Now, having said that, there, there is a possibility that, that people who want to do the, the old, like older style life group where everybody meets together, that we may try to put one of those together for other people that like it doesn't work as well for them to do the Monday, like the, sorry, the Wednesday night thing. Um, so just be, be listening for announcements on that. We're just kind of discussing, but what we can say for sure is that we want the men's and women's gatherings to continue through the end of the year. Um, and if you haven't been, consider going. It's so good. It's just been so good. Um, the uh, 11th next Monday, not tomorrow, but the next Monday, is a Mana House meeting that is for all volunteers or people who are interested in volunteering at Mana House. It's going to be at 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall. Um, there is a pro-life banquet the day after that, the 12th. If you're interested in helping with that, you can see Aaron. Aaron, would you just lift your hand up? You can see Aaron. You have your volunteers. Well, praise the Lord. Never mind. Pretend I didn't say that. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Um, Great. Awesome. Okay. The last thing. We're having a family meeting on September the 17th, right after service. Family meeting. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about the business then. But that's just know that in two weeks from today, we're having a family meeting. Anything else, Kevin? That's it. Well, I'm going to do this. Or do you have anything else, Zach? Can we stand as we prepare to dismiss? Um, let's pray as we go. Uh, and I'm going to call on Mr. Mike Branham. Mr. Mike, would you mind praying for us?